going to talk this morning about uh, identity. Now, this is something that, this is a topic we've hit many times, and we're, we're never going to get away from this topic. It's a huge thing, especially right now. Right now, where we are at in our culture, this is an essential topic. Everybody's talking about identity. And, and uh, so I want to bring a, um, a facet that I, I've never quite brought before on this particular topic. And I want to let you know, too, that this fall, you know, we have different home groups that come uh, every trimester. So in September, we have our spring home groups, but we're just going to have one this year, and it's one that uh, we're just going to tackle this issue. We're going to spend 12 weeks on this issue. We're going to do it right in here, um, and we're going to do it around, uh, around tables where we have discussion groups and all kinds of stuff that we can go deeper into this topic of identity on, on what the kingdom identity actually should be for us, what is a person of the kingdom called to do, very specifically. And then we're going to look at each one of us individually. We'll take different uh, personality evaluations and things um, to find out how can we best serve God with the particular skill sets and gift mixes and passions that we have, how can we walk out what he's called all of us to? But we start with the kingdom. We start with what does he do, and then how, how can we best operate in that? Does that make sense? So it's going to be really cool, so I'm just going to put a plug in for that right now, and we'll, we'll be telling you more as we go. But I'm going to give you a little taste of it this morning. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about the source of identity, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to be pilfering uh, uh, Dr. Tim Keller this morning. It, it, he spoke on this, and, and it, um, he had some real keys, and I thought, I'm not sure how to say this um, without stealing from him this morning. So um, I'm, I hope that he wouldn't mind. And if you haven't listened to Tim Keller, you need to get his, his podcast. He's absolutely terrific. Um, and I'm going to take a drink of water here. Hold on. Oh, yes. That's good. I didn't get a quad shot of espresso in my latte this morning, like Jenna snuck in a few months ago. I've never felt so wired being up. I listen to the podcast, and I'm like, slow down. Shut up. Okay. Water is good. Identity, where does it come from? There are two ways that society approaches this question, two very broad ways. Uh, traditional cultures and Eastern cultures um, throughout history have done it one way, and we in the West um, do it a little differently. Throughout history, traditional culture has said this. You look outside to find your identity. You look outside yourself. You look specifically to the community. Um, the idea is this. You cannot name yourself, so you need someone else to name you. You need to get that sense of value, the sense of worth, the sense of uniqueness, um, and that has to be given to you, something you can't invent. And so these uh, uh, traditional cultures, um, the, the noble thing to do is to let go of any sort of individualistic plan you have for yourself um, and fulfill the role that your society gives you, whether it be your culture, your clan, your tribe, whatever that is. Um, so this is, a, this is a common thing, and it's not even something that's told to you. It's something that's just understood. This is the role you're assigned. This is what you do. So they look outside. Now, I'm not going to talk much about this today because we're not in this kind of culture. Uh, some of you who are from other countries are very familiar with this, but we're not really from this, and so I, I don't feel the need to, to say too much about it except for this. There is an obvious inherent weakness about it. There, there's, uh, um, it it's, it's this. If you, what, if, what if your assigned role is a really bad thing? You see, cultures are, cultures are not inherently good or evil. Cultures have beautiful things about them. Probably every single culture you can think of 
Even like 7th century BC Assyrian culture had good things about it, <laughs> I'm sure, right? But everything has, every culture has good things about it and, and not so good things about it. So what if the culture has some really messed up ideas about identities and roles? I'll give you an example. The, the, uh, uh, the Indian caste system. Whew. The untouchables, that's really what they call one of the classes in India, it's the ones who you're just born into, the untouchable class, and you're not nearly as valuable. You have basically no significance, and if people see you dying, ah, oh, it must have been something else, or before, past life, whatever, but we're not going to deal with you much. And, and, and the, but if you're a Brahmin over here, then you are just born with more worth. You're born with a, another role. So those are the names the societies have given people. So it can get very messed up, is what I'm saying, all right? However... I'm not going to talk much about that because we have our own problems. Here's what we do in the West. We, I think, have, have largely seen the ways that Eastern identity or, or traditional culture identity uh, doesn't work. And so we've decided this. Identity, you find that by looking inside yourself. Obey your thirst. What is your thirst? Look inside yourself and figure out what are your greatest passions. Don't let anyone else define you. You define yourself. What did Frank Sinatra sing? I did it my way. And that is sort of the mantra of our culture. It's your way. You look inside yourself. What are the things in you? Who are you in there? In other words, you name yourself. You find your own passions, and then you find the real you. You see that? How do you find the real you? You find your own passions. Well, I was thinking about this phrase, the real you, thinking about it for myself. Who is the real me? My daughters don't get to chime in on this. The real me. Well, I could look in, what are my greatest passions beside my, besides my family? My greatest passions would be, well, I really like storytelling. I really like writing. Did you say that just now? Oh my gosh, it's almost like you saw my notes, but you didn't, right? Okay, I love that kind of stuff. And so I get, you know, I get fired up about that and, and I, I love to write and there you go. There's my deepest passion. So I'm a writer, I found it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Two weeks ago, I was preparing this proposal because my wife and I are going to this writer's conference. I'm putting together a couple of different proposals for different projects and and. One of them, you know, you got to be so tedious in some of these things. You have a cover letter and you've got a synopsis and all this. And I've been just, just zeroed in on this stuff and it can be so precise. So I finally write out this whole cover letter. And I read it to my wife because I read everything to my wife before I put it out. She's got a good eye and a good sense for this kind of stuff. And I read it to her and I'm like, okay, because I want to be done and I got a deadline and I'm sick of this. And she listens and she goes, hmm, I don't like it. Like, come on! I hate writing! That's what I decided. See, oh, I, I hate writing. I'm done with this. I am so done with this stupid conference and this stupid thing. And, ah, oh, now which one's the real me? See, because sometimes I love it and sometimes, sometimes I despise it. See, so someone's telling you, embrace the real you. And maybe they tell me in that moment when I'm like, you know what? This gives me so much frustration and I hate being tied up in knots when I'm in the middle of a project and I can't get it right. And if someone says, embrace the real you, I'm going to go, but I'm going to embrace that. I'm so sick of this. 
And that's every bit as much as the real me as the one who's going, la, la, I love when a good story comes together. You see that? It's interesting. How do you say the real you? Well, you go, okay, so maybe that's not it, okay? Uh, that's not your deepest passion. What, what, about, what about this right here, preaching? I, I, like, I like to preach. I do. I don't, I mean, it's great. I like, you know, it's good. This is fun. Last night I was taking my sort of traditional Saturday night walk before I preach. Late at night I came in. Sarah had some tea. Oh, here's your tea. I took it. I said, thanks. I hate preaching. And she just laughed at me. She just laughed at me. Because, you know, you're struggling, grappling with ideas, and how in the world do I make this plain? And it's still, I, it's clear in my head, but how can I lay it so it's clear and so it doesn't take forever? And how can I do these? Yeah, I hate preaching. You see? Our passions are inherently conflicted. You can, you can feel very different things, even about the same issue. So how in the world can we look inside ourselves, find those passions, and make a clear determination on what our identity actually is? Am I making sense? So this has become sort of a family joke now. It's whatever happens to be happening, whatever we happen to, last night we were watching this truck, uh, this uh, uh, Food Network show, the, the food truck race or whatever, and I'm watching this going, yeah, after you know, still being frustrated with not being able to get a clear outline for my sermon that I felt good about, like, yeah, this is what we should do. We should open up a food truck. <laughs> Guys, I don't even cook. I... Okay, so it's become sort of a family joke. But here's the thing. I bet you're not that much different than me. I bet you're not that much different. You see, I think we're all sort of this way. We, we're, we're, we... My point is, do you see how our passions are always shifting? Am I the only one that's like this? Shifting passions, all right. Do you see how it's impossible to pin down the real you when even your deepest desires are fickle? Huh? Ten years ago, what were your passions? I want you to think about yourself. What were your passions ten years ago? See, I remember me. I wanted to travel and I wanted to teach in YWAM schools. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go out just like, like Doug Easterday does. I, that's what I wanted to do. And I, I loved doing it. I mean, this is the greatest thing ever. I think now, okay, that was 10 years ago. So now here I am. That mortifies me. I don't want to travel. I mean, occasionally it's okay, but I just want to stay home and write or not write. <laughs> Grape about writing or watch food truck shows with Emily and Jenna. That's all I want to do. I don't want to, you see that? Your passions can totally go in different directions over time. So I think about myself that long ago, my passions had changed, but not only my passions, my, my entire personality is way different than it was 10 years ago. We took one of these Myers-Briggs, has anyone ever taken Myers-Briggs personality test, okay? It's like ENTJ or ISTP, or I don't remember what most of them mean, but I remember the first letter is I or E, and it stands for introvert or extrovert. So my wife and I both took this, and we'll always remember this because opposites attract, I guess. She was all the way on the extreme introvert side, I was all the way on the extreme extrovert side. Now, those of you guys who know me, does that sound a little funny? I am not an extreme extrovert. I know because I work with an extreme extrovert. <laughs> I am not an extreme extrovert. His family is right here laughing. Yes, right? 
So this is not me, man. And how did that happen? Well, life happens and we change, which is the real you. What if I would have pinned that down and I could have branded myself Jason Haig, extreme extrovert teacher traveler? That's who I am, folks. I found it. I found my identity. Now what do I do? Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to be around people very much anymore. What's wrong with me? I'm sick. I've lost my soul. Has your personality changed? Here's the thing. I look back at myself 10 years ago, and I want to slap that guy. I, even more so, think about this happens all the way through life, see. I just, I just got in this Facebook group of a bunch of people who blog about autism and stuff, and, and, and they have this requirement that when you join the group, you have to post a really bad picture of yourself from high school. And so I did. I posted this one. Actually, it was in eighth grade. And I'm sitting here. It's this black and white yearbook picture, and I had long hair because I was decided that I was a big fan of grunge music, and I was alternative. Who are, I, I'm really alternative. Yeah, I'm not poppy. I'm alternative. That's just my thing. It's my thing. That's what I do. So I have long hair, and I sing like Eddie Vedder, or I try, because every guy in the 90s sang like Eddie Vedder, right? That's just me. I want to slap that guy when I see that picture. When I posted this picture, I'm like, yeah, there's my jerk face. Who else wants to punch him, right? <laughs> How many of you guys think about yourselves 10 or 20 years ago and want to slap that person, right? I can't be the only one. Because you look at that, you're like, I was such an idiot. I knew nothing. I thought I knew everything. And guys, here's my fear. I kind of fear that in 10 years, I might look at myself today and want to slap me. Because <laughs> I guarantee my passions are going to be different in 10 years. Some of the things obviously will carry over. Hopefully, I'll still like writing. Hopefully, I'll still like preaching. But who knows? Maybe I'll love running food trucks. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. The human heart is hopelessly fickle. We cannot identify, we cannot find our identity by looking within. We just can't do it. And this is the first reason. Our passions, our passions shift. Our personalities change. Our emotions turn without warning. You know, none of us got married to our third grade teachers. Our passions change. Our emotions turn. And we can't really do anything about that a lot of times. Your feelings, your personality makeup, they're important, okay? They really are. But they're not core. They're not identity. Feelings weren't designed to lead us. Hear me. They're important, but they weren't designed to lead us. They're fluid. That's a word that gets used a lot in discussions about uh, sexuality, right? Oh, fluidity and things like that. Well, I, let me say this. I, I think we're fluid in a whole bunch of ways. Guys, I think all of our emotions and passions are fluid. They're this way today. They're that way tomorrow. Why? I don't know. They just are. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. There's, there's nothing to nail down there. It's all moving. This is why you... Listen, I'm no builder, but even I know you cannot pour your concrete foundation in the middle of a river. Even I know that. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's the second reason we can't find authenticity by looking within. When we seek 
authenticity for its own sake, for the sake of identity, who's the real me, we end up sentimentalizing our broken places instead of letting Christ heal them. At Christ Center, authenticity is a thing we talk about often and really encourage, but it's not something that we seek or we promote for its own sake. Authenticity is a means to spiritual and emotional health. It's like going to the the doctor, you got a bad pain. What does the doctor say? Where does it hurt? Here. How much? Scale of one to ten. Seven. Why is he asking you that? He's asking you that so we can identify what's actually going on and then help it get better. So this is why we in the church promote authenticity here because we are big, big believers that pretending you don't have pain doesn't help anything because then you can't actually get to the source of it. Then you can't actually deal with it. So we say, what's going on in your heart? Do you have hurt? Are you upset with God? Do you have resentments? Do you have sin? Are there there sin issues? See, whatever these things are, we need to be able to get them out. We need to be able to confess these things one to another so we can minister to one another. Not so we can go, oh, I found it. Look, I had this festering pride issue. Hey, I'm festering pride guy. (laughs) Let Let me tell you guys, yeah. I am not the type to let things go easily. You hear people say things like this, right? I don't let things go easily. Boy, I hold on. I don't forget. I hold on. What, now, what's happened? What's happened is they've they zeroed in on a particular emotion, in this case a sinful one, and then gotten all sentimental about it and said, this is who I am. Do you see that? Well, I, I'm, dude, I'm just an angry person, so just deal with it. This is the way I am. You got a problem with me. <laughs> you see this online all the time, and I'm so sick of it. Ugh, okay. Anyway, Christ says this. He says something entirely different. What's going on in your heart? Now let me heal it so you can find yourself in me. See, for us as believers, we've got an issue, and we've got to face it. The scriptures don't extol the virtues of authenticity. The scriptures don't get sentimental about our hangups. They just don't. You can't find it there. Western culture, our culture does because we worship the self. And we, we, oh, this is who you are, man. This is all awesome. Embrace it. Hey, that's you. Don't let anyone tell you to back off that thing. The gospel doesn't do that. The New Testament doesn't do that. It doesn't get that way about authenticity. In fact, it breaks. Look at this sin of the New Testament against Western culture. It doesn't extol authenticity. It extols imitation. Look at this. I urge you then, Paul says, be imitators of me. Wait a minute. Imitators? Oh, no, I'm going to be the real me, Paul. The real me right now is upset. The real me is going third person. Jay's getting upset here. (laughs) He does it again. Be, Im- be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Oh, now so now you're like Jesus. I get it. Does that make you better than me? Well, I'm not going to be like you. This is the way he made me. Really? Are you sure that's not just the way you felt like yesterday? And even now you don't even really feel that way, but now you're making sort of a caricature of the way you felt yesterday? Do you know? Have you seen people do this? They end up putting on this thing and adopt, well, I'm just... I'm just Mr. Sarcasm. How many of us have done that with sarcasm? This was my life in high school. Mr. Sarcasm right here. 
I, I, I'm going to tell myself here. I don't know why I did this. I had this, a crush on this girl. Maybe I told you guys this before. I crushed on this girl, and, I'm, and we're all hanging out at her house one day, and her older brother was a really cool guy who I really liked. I should have been trying to impress him, but I was wearing this cool T-shirt. And he goes, hey, cool shirt, man. And I, what did I say? Did I say, hey, thanks? No, because I have a crush on your sister, so thank you. I'm going to be nice to you. No, you know what I said? He says, cool shirt, man. I said, I know. I want to smack that moron. I had just become a caricature of myself. It wasn't the real me. It was just something that I had learned and thought was cool, so I adopted it. Paul says, don't do that junk. Be imitators of Christ. Stop looking for the real you. Act like him. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Now it's not just inherit Paul. Now it's inherit those who, uh, imitate those who have come before you and inherit the promises. Do you see this? This is abhorrent to our culture. But look at this next verse. This is from Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 3. Join one another in following my example. This is Paul again. Brothers, and carefully observe those who live according to the pattern we set for you. For as often as I have told you before, and now declare even with tears, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Let me break this down for you here. He's saying there's lots of people who are, have become enemies of the cross and are moving towards destruction. Who are these people? They're people whose God is their belly. What does he mean by that? Is he just talking about gluttony? No, I don't think he is. That word belly or, is, is like a, a cavity. It's this emptiness. In other words, their God is their appetite. Their God, the, the thing that they're going to look to to obey is a thing that wants stuff. It's things their flesh wants. I don't mean necessarily even mean sinful flesh. Flesh doesn't always mean sinful flesh. It just means your humanness. The stuff your humanness wants. And if you make that the thing that you look to and the thing that you have to obey by saying, hey, what do I feel like doing? Well, I'm doing that because that's me. The minute we start doing that is the minute we start deifying our appetites. Do you see what I'm saying? If we look at our appetites and then go, well, this is what I want. This is the real me. You've just made a God out of yourself. You've made a God out of the particular brand of temptation that is your hang-up. Now, all of us have brands of temptation that get us into trouble. Every single one of us. And there is grace for that. But we've got to turn away from those things. To let those, to set them down and to simply walk away and say, Jesus, this is a problem for me. So I'm going to lay this down and I'm going to walk away from it. Because I'm going to be an imitator of you. And you walk towards your father, so that's what I'm going to do. Do you see how this is different? You see, we can't be defined by our appetites. A lot of people will hear this and immediately translate this into modern discussions about sexuality and be upset and go, well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty rigid 
Christian ethic for sexuality. And I would say, hold on, stop right there. This isn't even the Christian ethic for sexuality. This is the Christian ethic for life. It's this. Don't assert yourself like the culture calls you to do and says, this is the real you. Assert the real you. Assert yourself. Christ says the opposite. Deny yourself. He says, do not obey the body and its lusts and all the appetites that are calling you in all these different directions. It covers a multitude of things. People just don't understand the gospel anymore. Suddenly they look and go, you mean Jesus has demands on us? Like it's not been there for the past 2,000 years. He's always had demands on us. And it's this, turn away from our sin and walk towards him. It's a simple thing. Go against the lusts of the flesh. Do we always do this perfectly? No, no. But when we fall, we stand up and we say, I'm not going to live there and I'm not going to say that's who I am because it's not who I am. And there's a holy anger that ought to rise up against that, especially when we fall, to say, no, I, this is not who I am. I made a mistake, Lord. Lord, please, I made a mistake. I need to come back to you. But I'm not going to stay here. And see, that's the difference. That's the difference. Where are you going to find your identity? When we become slaves to our appetites, he says, we become enemies of the cross. That might sound like harsh words, but it's true. We become enemies of the cross because we've just deified ourselves instead of the risen Christ. Instead, let's see what he tells us. Paul continues, but our citizenship, the place where we come from, our home culture, our native culture is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by, by the power that enabled him to subject all things to himself will transform us and our lowly bodies and our lowly appetites and temptations to be like his glorious body. You see that? We walk like he walked. We set aside the old and we walk towards the new because he's going to make us new. I don't care what those things are. He's going to make us new. Let Christ name you. Let Christ name you, friends. We've got to look outside ourselves and hear the call of his kingdom saying, come, you're a child of the king. Come, love him, serve him. Come and praise him. Take your eyes off yourself, and then you can have a wonderful adventure. And when we're able to let him name us, we're then free to serve him in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And we won't have to find the perfect set of circumstances anymore. You see, our, our friends in traditional Eastern cultures aren't right in the sense that cultures can't, cultures are as shifting as we are and as sinful as we as individuals are, but they're right in this. We can't name ourselves. It doesn't make sense. You know how uncomfortable it is when you see a friend and they've just made up a nickname for themselves? <laughs> I'm serious. You can't give yourself a nickname, can you? So why in the world do you think you give yourself a real identity? That's even more embarrassing. you got to look outside yourself. You have to be given a name. Nobody names themselves. So our friends in the East were right in that. You need it to come from the outside, but they're wrong about the source. It can't come from society. It has to come from him. The one who can see us perfectly, can see the way he designed us perfectly. The one who loves perfectly, even though he sees all our messed up places. 
Do you see that? Who could see you exactly the way that you are. All the warts, all the bad stuff, all the junk that you don't, (laughs) as Colonel Jessup would say, you don't talk about at parties. All of those places, and he loves you still. Can you imagine that? Now, where else are you going to get a true name but him? Guys, we got to fight our culture in this. It's so subtle. It is so subtle. Kingdom culture is different than what's around us. In kingdom culture, we look to the king for everything, including our sense of worth. And if we start there, look what can happen. See, look what can happen. You can be like the Apostle Paul, who, became, who lost everything, right? And then he had nothing. And even though he had this glorious stuff, he goes, well, it's better. Now I have Christ. I count all these things as loss. And then he started signing his letters, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he did that most of his, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then what happened? He gets imprisoned. What is an apostle? An apostle goes around and travels all over the place and plants churches and makes connections. That's what an apostle does. But now Paul can't do that anymore because he lost his passport and he's under house arrest. He can't do those things anymore. So can he still go out and do the apostle things? No, he can't. But did it devastate him? Not at all. He would start saying this. Okay, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You see that? The title didn't matter anymore. You might have lots of titles because those things that you do, the things that you're uniquely gifted at, even the unique passions that he's given you, those do matter. But they're secondary. They're not supposed to be the source of identity. They're secondary. And get this, those name tags come off. Right now, I am Jason, preacher at Christ Center. When I get home, I'm going to be Jason, dad in Jesus Christ. And tonight, when it's 8.30 and I've got all my boys in their beds, I will be Jason, dad, storyteller, according to the grace of Jesus Christ. You see this? The name tag no longer matters. And Lord willing, in 15 years from now, Jason, food truck operator, (laughs) according to the grace of Jesus Christ. We can do the same thing. We can stop stressing about how we see ourselves. We're stressing, how do I brand myself? Guess what? You don't have to. You're a son and a daughter of the living God, redeemed by the blood of his son. So stand together. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to drop the stress that the culture puts on us. Lord, help us to see through the lies, the very subtle lies of the culture and help us to buck up against it. Lord, I pray you would come with the spirit of righteous anger against this kind of stuff when it wells up in us and remind us of our name. Lord, remind us of our name. I pray this over each and every person. May we know our name as you call us. And may we forsake the false and cheap name tags that the enemy would try to label us with. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Prayer servant team will be up here. Thank you all. We'll see you next weekend.